Today, Ryan continues his conversation with Mike, a former StatMed class participant. This is part two of a conversation in which Mike shares his crisis point, or the moment in med school when he first realized he was seriously struggling and needed to take action. Yeah, it's, it's the line in the sand. You have eight hours. Whatever number that computer spits out is whether your future is done and you're not a doctor or you can continue on and graduate. Like That's the line. That is the line you have to cross to be able to graduate. So what did you do? Called you. Panicked. I'm Ryan Orwig with StatMed Learning, where we talk about learning and test taking in med school and on medical boards. Welcome back to our conversation with my former student and, and my friend, Dr. Mike, who's been sharing with us his crisis points on his journey to becoming an emergency medicine doctor. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and do that one first. It's a doozy. So, Mike, a quick refresher. Tell us who you are. So just a quick recap, um, I'm a ER physician in Florida. I'm the assistant director of a mid-sized ER here in Florida, um, here with my wife and kids, and we have a happy family, happy life here. Um, Ryan and I have had our intertwined life for approximately the past 10 years, and sitting, talking, we've talked and touched base multiple times, and you just kind of think about how different your life could have been if any of these crisis points had gone differently and how different it was because of the crisis points in the first place. So, Absolutely. So let's pick up on your story uh, where we sort of talked about how you fought your way through med school and dismissal and some mini crises along the way, squeezed by your level one board exam. Uh, did well getting through, you know, your your rotations and then hit your second crisis point, which is what we're going to talk about right now. When you failed Comlex level two by a handful of points. Um, so that's kind of where we are right now. What can you tell me about the build up to that test and, of course, the fallout from not passing that test? It's a very similar story to a lot of people that don't pass. At that point, I knew I just barely passed step one. So I was on rotations, doing well on rotations through the year. I decided I was going to do ER and was applying to residencies and had auditions set up to travel all over the country to go to different ER residencies. And you know, this is an important test and you've got to do well. And so for the months leading up to it, I would go into the hospital early. I would study before rotations. I would study at lunch. I would carry flashcards in my pocket just to squeeze every little bit of studying time in. After rotations, I would go back. I would study more until 9, 10 o'clock at night. I basically lived at the hospital. We were there all the time. I studied more than I did step one because I knew this was the one that this is this level two that everybody looks at and this is what determines which residency you get where you go and so that was that was my mindset going in was I'm going to use the study skills that I learned but you know when I repeated first year combine that you know with working harder than I'd ever done before and so 
went in confident to that board's practice test. You know, I think I did about 5,000 practice questions before I even got to the test. So I did every question bank there was, did some of them multiple times. And so, you know, obviously put but the Mike, time let me in. But Mike, let me intervene. Let me intervene. So yes, 5,000 some questions, studying all the time. And again, and I said this in the last episode, but this is what somebody who is an inconsistent test taker, a poor test taker does. They overcompensate, they overtrain, they overstudy. They, you know, they do more questions than the person sitting next to them. That's just how you compensate unless we can intervene through methodology. Um, and at this point, what, what year is this? This is 2012 at this point. So, yeah, so this you is, know, so you're doing this, you're, yeah, the build up through 2012. And this is also when I left uh, Marshall and I, and I created uh, what would become StatMed Learning during the same exact year. So it was a big year for you. I was sort of leaving and trying to figure out the next step for me. Um, so you're doing all this, you're, you're doing all this prep and then, you know, you take the test, right? Yeah. So uh, as most people, first couple of weeks in July, you take it, you're six weeks out. And so, but at that point you go off on rotations and auditions and you're going to, you know, all these different programs and you're trying to, you know, look good and you're trying to work hard and you're trying to get into one of these residency spots. And so you have, you're doing well, they like you, they think you're a good fit, but then they pull your scores and they see your step one and they see your failed step two. And so then you're back to, to honestly, the embarrassment of, of not doing well in testing because that's what, that's what everybody looks at. Well, this is, and this is this is a major crisis, right? This is like you are. There are people like lining you up and 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 earmarking you. Like we like this guy, we want this guy on our team. And, and then they then this the, the shoe drops and you fail this test, right? This isn't just like they wanted you to get above average and you scored below average. That's a different that's a different scenario, right? This yeah, is a like, lot of places they use because they have three or four hundred applicants for four spots. Right. That was 10 years ago, you know, yeah. then their first line of defense is board scores. And so easy. if you're it's not, easy. if you don't pass up the boards, oh. you automatically are off their list. And so going there and kind of can get you closer. But a lot of places were like, we're sorry, you, you didn't pass boards. That's the first step to even getting an interview. And All right. So, so, that, so, so number one, so that is, I mean, right there, bang, that's, that's a, that's a massive blow. And then you, you've got the school. And what the school is going to do to somebody who's now failed their boards, correct? Yeah. So then they're they're reaching out and they're doing the best they can, but they again they don't they think that the answer is to study more and to to do more questions and to practice harder and to you know you go back to the the story of just work harder is really yeah. the advice to be able to get through it and. Again, is there, Mike, the, is there also an accusation? Is there also an accusation that maybe you didn't work hard enough the first time? Yeah, that's because they I mean, they see that all the time that people didn't put the effort in. They didn't they didn't put the time in. They didn't do what they were supposed to. And so that's mm -hmm. the people they see. And so they think that if you put the time in, you do what you're supposed to do. You do practice questions, you prep, then you're going to pass. Because I think not, that's a there's a presumption that all med students are, are built the same, wired the same, same cognitive wiring. Um, and that it's, it's just the simpler solution. I mean, everything's easier if that's the case. Right. 
but we have to embrace that not everybody has the same strengths and weaknesses, that not all people read and process test questions the same, not all people learn and encode information the same, but it is the easier answer. Oh, you failed. And it's it's easy to, it's easy an easy recommendation. Like go do a thousand more questions, go do 5,000 more questions. Use this bank instead of that bank. Those are easier recommendations than oh, we got to retrain this brain. <laughs> we got to like intervene with a ver- with an appropriate intervention. That's tough. That's a harder set. It's a harder solution. And I don't think that's just our cultural, our cultural uh, setup. You know, it's just like, well, you know, go do this. So, where did, did so after the first failure, step two, did you have to go back to the promotions committee, or was that just like just get ready to take it again? No, that was just uh, you have a couple months to retake it. You know, start over, keep going because you're you're already doing. You already have all the information. You already have all this stuff prepped out. You already have been studying this for five months at this point. Every right. day, this is what you're doing. This is your life was studying for this test yeah. because you're trying to do well. And so now I'm traveling. You're every two weeks you're moving to the next program. You're still trying yeah. to study and look good to these places because in a year you're hopefully graduated from med school and you want a residency spot and you want one of these spots that you're going to. And so you're trying to, again, balance the the studying for boards because you still have to pass it and none of this happens without passing it right so you pretty much turned around and took this test pretty quickly after that right yeah so i mean you have match day you have a deadline and they have to have all their stuff back by match day or you miss the whole cycle and so i think i took two and a half maybe three months had it rescheduled because you're off the the normal cycling so scheduling is a little more difficult you're off traveling. Yeah. So where you're going to take it is a little more difficult. And so getting everything lined up. So two, three months turn around, but you've already done all the work. So you think, oh, it's a bad test day. Like I, and so you can just turn around, I'll get through it, pass it quick. And then, you know, you'll be able to move forward, continue the interview process, get the residency by match day. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, a, I think it's a logical, I don't, and I don't know that, I don't think we talked between these two tests. Um, so you did what I think is a fairly logical thing. How many more questions? So you think you did a lot more practice questions again? Yeah, I probably did a whole another another question bank one or two times. I was probably at another two thousand questions by the you know by the next three months. But it was really just going through reviewing and like trying to find the stuff that you were weak in, hitting it yeah. hard, and then you know finding your weaknesses and moving through it. Yeah. And so you did that and then you took it again. And, and I'm assuming what, well, what I don't want to assume what happened then when you took step to level two the second time. Yeah. So now we're in November of fourth year, six yeah. months from graduation. And I failed again, two months from oh. match day. So I failed oh. step two twice now and I'm really in trouble. This looks like, yeah, this looks like maybe game over, right? Yeah. Again, I mean, it, back. Again, back to margin of error, if anybody else had, you know, sailed through first and second year, sailed through step one, you know, you fail boards twice and it's not as big of a deal, but you already have history. You're already on the list. You're already going through the promotions committee. And so then everything starts over. And so then you have to be alive. So now is the the promotions committee now back on your case? Yeah. So now you have to get approved to be able to take it for the third time. Could and they again, like, you're, could, could, now remind me, could, could could the promotions committee decide 
sorry, you don't even get a chance? Or is it like you're going to definitely get a chance to take it the third time? No, Sam, they can decide, you know, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have an explanation, then they very easily can say, you've taken it twice. That was your shot. We're not going to let you take it again. And you're out again. Wow. Terrifying. So what, 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 what did they say to you? So they, you know, you get dressed up, you go to the meeting again, you try and talk to these people about it. And so they luckily said one more shot. You get the third chance, you take it. This is it. No, there's no more. There's no fourth time. You don't take it again. You know, there, there's a third. And again, that's your line in the sand. You pass it or fail it. You're in med school or not. And so this is, this is the, this is the ultimate test for you after all the stuff you've been through. It's like, this is truly, you know, it's like, it's like, I don't know, like every movie is like, this is the biggest battle. This is the biggest challenge for, a, you know, whoever's like, this is Iron Man's biggest challenge this is Jason Bourne's biggest challenge. But this really is like, this was Mike's biggest challenge, right? Yeah. It's, it's the line in the sand. You have eight hours, whatever number that computer spits out is whether your future is done and you're not a doctor or you can continue on and graduate. Like that's the line. That is the line you have to cross to be able to graduate. So what did you do? I called you panicked. (laughs) (laughs) We have, we have these intertwining episodes in the five years of med school. And, you know, I called you panicked because I thought it was still a study thing. I was studying what we did and it wasn't working. It wasn't coming through on the test. I I had, I had just left uh, my spot at Marshall. I just like packed up and I said, I'm going on my own. I'm going to figure this thing out. Didn't really have a business plan. Hadn't really figured out what it all looked like. But I knew at that point, I, I decided at that point that like the models were different and the demographics were different. And I wasn't really looking to work with the same demographic I was working with at Marshall. I was like, I think that I can help anybody who identifies as being, I don't know how to study in med school. And that was going to be the stat med class. And then I was building this thing called the stat med boards workshop, which is I'm, I'm, I'm smart. I know my stuff. I just can't show it on test day. That's the stat med boards workshop. Take a bad test taker and turn them into a good test taker on medical board exams. This goes step one, level one, all the way through step two, level two, step two, level three, shelf exams, specialty boards, subspecialty boards, anything under the umbrella of medicine from anesthesia to emergency medicine, to cardio, to just different surgeries, whatever. Um, But I was just building it. I was just now trying to figure out like, what's the through line? What's the mechanism? What's the system? And I think, you know, we talked about it. You were panicked. I was sitting in this little office I'd set up in the back of my house. And, and I was like, uh, I was like, I, I wish I had, I wish he was calling me six months later when I had this thing built. But I think what we did was, I think it was like, I was like, all right, Mike, I hear you. And I know your brain as well as I know anybody's. And I know your personality. I know your temperament and all that stuff. And I was like, I think, and all the study stuff, I was like, sounds fine. Sounds right. I don't hear, I'm not seeing a, 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 like a lot of times you can see it's like the matrix. It's like, oh, there's a breakdown here, or this is fuzzy. Maybe there's a problem here. Maybe not. It all, I mean, you know, I think we had your study stuff up and running pretty well. But we didn't have this other side, this test-taking performance, showing consistently what you know on medical board exams over this eight-hour test. Because I'll say, like, I say this elsewhere, I say it all the time, like, 
test taking is a weak link system. Some things are strong link systems, some things are weak link systems. This isn't about you at your best when you crush a question. I don't care about that. What I care about is you at your worst when you are abusing the question, when you're you know, distorting the, the specific question being asked, when you're rounding down key clues, when you're doing single points of contact, when you're using a binary test taking mentality, when you're ruling in instead of ruling out. And, and you know, you are truly the poster child. Um, so I think what we said, I was like, look, Mike, why don't we just have you be the guinea pig as we, as I developed this? Is that, that's what we did, right? I, I, yeah. I was like, let's just, I, think I, was, I was like, I'm the third person gonna, to take the class. Like you tried it once. And then I think I was the second or third person to go through it. And you were still putting stuff together and you had notebooks you were mailing out. And so it was crazy. Very crazy. Really. Yeah, very early in the end. I was like, well, we're just going to spin this thing out. And, and I, yeah, like I said, I believed in you. I knew you. And, and I was, I was, I was upset for you. I mean, I was like, oh my gosh, no, not at this point. And, you know, and you were just, just crestfallen and, and, and scared and traumatized. And, you know, we get into it and I'm looking at your test taking. So this means like, you know, using like Google Hangouts or whatever weird portal we were using at that time. And, you were, um, that means you're reading questions out loud and then articulating all your thoughts as you go. And it's just, it's a train wreck. It's a mess. So I, one of my skills, I think my, my special skill, and I think this is similar for you as an emergency medicine doc, is I'm really good at pattern recognition. And, you know, my background with like the way the ADHD brain works, the way reading and learning works, where gifted learning works and like learning disabilities work. You know, most of my most of my docs, they might have a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but it's just it's just patterns. It's like, oh, look, like this, this is a bad pattern. He's exhibiting this bad pattern. These same bad patterns repeated over and over. Now, and you know, maybe there's like twelve to fifteen bad test taking patterns. Somebody might only be doing two or three of them, and it's enough to really wreck their test taking. But you, you were like checking so many of the boxes. It was a great, a great early like um, uh, avatar to build through. Cause like you could just say, look, just plug Mike into this. Oh, he does that. Oh, he does this. And, and again, it's, it's not, there's invisible behaviors to you. So we get in there and we start installing the system. Now that the system's evolved a lot since then and blah, 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 but we're installing this very rigid m- process for reading the questions. It's kind of like an elaborate apparatus, right? You go from prompt to passage to, you know, triangulate what we now call status check and taking each option one by one, not weighing them together, giving them one of these, these codes, it's like sort of weighing in a vacuum, how accurate, how honest are those? And then if you go to a tie break, how do you break that tie? This is all stuff that we, you can see some videos on our website about this. This is our stat med boards workshop. But on the one hand, we have to install the system. I don't think it's like rocket science to install the system. It's, it's a process and we're good at it. Um, I mean, it probably wasn't as fast, but you, you had about two months, I think, right? When you got a hold of me to like yeah. turn this ship around. And so we start installing the system, like hammering it into place. So it's, it's, we're, we have to teach you to, to play the game the way we want you to play it. And then ultimately, you guys are smart people. Mike, you're a smart person. My, my, my med students and physicians are smart. They have to be their own coach. Like every time you do questions, you have to use the system. And this is what we're getting up and I'm figuring this out. Like, oh, this is, this is really important. This is less important and all that. And, and really getting it up and, 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 and flying from untimed to like tutor mode to time mode to what's our success rate with tie breaks and all this stuff, right? 
So we get this thing up and going. And I, th- I think we did it for free, right? Wasn't it like, Mike, you're going to do this. I'm not going to charge you because I'm still making it up. And then you're just going to help me in the future. And then you've been in yeah. me ever since. You've been in yeah. me ever since. <laughs> and that's really why you're doing this podcast. Like, I owe him forever. I'm just kidding. Uh, Big time. Um, <laughs> you did the work. I didn't. Um, and it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work because bad test taking is bad behavior. Um, that's like one of my mantras. Do you think that's true? Like it's just Absolutely. like it's like it's just like your your it's like your default default wiring how you operate in these questions, right? And nobody knows because you've been taking tests since I was four years old, and you've been right. taking them the same way. And you go back and you think when you're in third grade, you miss questions because you didn't you went too fast or you jumped too fast, and you know your mom was like, I studied all this stuff with you, and you still got this question wrong. Like, what's going on? You know this stuff, and then you go to the test, and you you didn't get it right. But and so that just carries on until you get to boards, and so it's the same deal, just on a bigger scale. And on a the, bigger scale, but the misses what I are tell more people, amplified. Well, they're more amplified, but the re- it's like, why didn't it get caught before? And 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 I say it didn't get caught before because it wasn't a problem. It's not a problem until it's a problem, and so you're able to. Yeah, maybe you're missing some of these nuancy questions due to impulsivity or, or, or you're, you know, you're sort of sca- coloring outside the lines or, or what have you. But you're able to then cover it up with your in- intellect and your ability to explain to a teacher and to get points elsewhere. But when you get to the construct of these medical board exams, they're very unforgiving. Um, they're all of equal cumbersome build. And if you have weaker executive functioning, weaker working memory, which I think applies to you, it just all gets exposed and it all gets amplified. Part of having a good test taking solution at this level is finding out where the weaknesses are and then having a system that limits the burden on those weaknesses. That's uh, bad decisions, bad behavior, working memory weaknesses, executive functioning weaknesses. You really want to build that system out to um, sort of uh, buffer that. What Mike, so we did this, we're working for like two weeks. What can you remember maybe one or two of I'm putting you on the spot of, of the kinds of mistakes you might make either the name of the mistake or a contextualized example of the kind of mistake you might make on a question where, it, cause, cause I think what happens, let me just say this first. The idea is like in your training, cause it doesn't matter on test day. You don't know. You just have to, you have to execute like you train on test day. You know, you miss a question, you read the answer explanation, you then sort it into one of two categories. Was it a knowledge miss or a test-taking miss? A knowledge miss is like, yeah, I just didn't know that. Fine. Fair miss. You're going to miss it. I don't care about those. The, like, the, the true legit knowledge misses you were making were not why you were scoring the scores you were scoring below 400. The reason you were scoring below 400 is because of the other side, the test-taking misses. This is when you read the answer explanation and you realize, hey, I should have gotten that right. And then just the staggering number of these things. So you have to, in training, identify the test taking misses. Then you have to always do like a like a like a postmortem autopsy, where you track out what did you do right and what did you what did you do specifically wrong. And that's where like the board's workshop is very mechanized and streamlined for all this. But I mean, anybody can do that to a degree. Do you remember the, like it, like an example of one or two of the kind of misses you were particularly susceptible to? There are. A bunch, but I would twist to twist the vignette into fitting an answer that was wrong. I would do that a lot. Square pegs, square pegs will fit in round holes. 
if you hit them hard enough, right? So yeah, so this is where the like the you it's funny because like twisting is like a weird way to abuse your knowledge, right? It's met your because you're not like twisting it from nothing. You're you're seeing an answer option, then you're reading the clues in the vignette, and you are manipulating them based on your knowledge, right? To make them fit to shape the square peg into a round peg so it'll fit through the round hole. So it's not even hitting it hard. You're 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 distorting the the, the object to fit. So you're like a really bad twister, right? Yeah, and then also I would be answering the wrong questions because my working yeah. memory was so bad. I would forget yeah. what question I was answering by the time I was trying to work through all the choices. And so yeah. I would so, lose details in the question. You mean the, like the specific question being asked, like the last sentence, the, what we call the yeah. prompt, right? So if it's asking for best initial uh, treatment, you lose sight of initial treatment. You're thinking best overall broad spectrum treatment, most appropriate next step in management. You're actually, you're choosing something farther up the staircase, not immediately next. And then you miss it. And I'd say, well, would you do that next? You're like, no, you wouldn't do it next. You do it later. And that's the answer you chose. And you would know, right? So and, and your brain isn't going to just leave a giant hole in, in like, like, what is the question being asked? Your brain is going to lose the question and then auto-correct and fill in the void. And then that's, I think, what you end up plugging in because it's all swirling around. It's a mess. It's chaos. And you're saying, yeah, this this is something you could do for this patient in this situation with compartment syndrome, but it's not what you would do next. And you know that as an emergency medicine physician, you're like, no, it wouldn't be. Or you would pick something that's not the most appropriate. Like I, I would see you do this all the time. Like you'll pick an answer and you'll explain to me why it's right. And it sounds really good and medical and knowledgeable. And I'm like, would it be the most appropriate next step in management? Like just breaking down the, sim- the simplest yet complex uh, question that you might see in a medical board exam, right? Question. And you'd be like, well, you could do it. Is that, I'm on the right track, right? Right. Like, yeah, you could do that. But I'm like, but is it most appropriate? And this isn't even like most appropriate compared to other options. You're just like, no, it wouldn't be like the textbook thing. Is that, I mean, that's, that's fair, right? Yeah. And after you do so many questions, you see that all the answers are right for a different question. They're they're right if the question vignette is changed just a little bit. And that's the point yeah. of the test is to see where where the details are. And so if you are missing it from the beginning and you're going down looking for the right answer to the wrong question, you're in trouble. It's impossible. It's it, it is the equivalent of you trying to tell me what 10 plus 10 is. But the, like you if you're if I say hey, what's 10 plus 10, you tell me it's 20. I'm like, no, Mike, it's 22. You're like, what? And I'm like, 10 plus 10 plus two. You're like, I didn't have the plus two. You have the wrong coordinates. Well, it's it's, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like, so Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, bad, like the bad guy, Nazi, uh, he, like, like Indiana Jones needs the, the, the headpiece to the staff of Ra. And Marion has it. And there's writing on both sides. Spoiler for a movie that came out in 1982. And so the bad guy grabs it when it's in the fire. And he, he screams like hilariously in, in agony when it burn, it burns into his hand but it only burns one side. So the bad guys are digging based on the coordinates of only the front side of the headpiece of the staff of Ra. The good guys have the actual medallion and they can see on both sides, they have the right coordinates. So what, what you were, you're describing and what you would often engage in is you would take the wrong coordinates, either not even from the clues, the medical clues in the vignette, but simply the last qu- the sentence, the question being asked. I think it's pretty 
popular advice, read the last sentence first. I think it's well known at this point, much better than it was 10, 15 years ago. But I still see so many of my bad test takers, they read that last sentence, but they don't profit from it. 30 seconds later, 65, 70 seconds later, when they're choosing their answer, they've become unmoored from it and they're answering a different question. And that's what you're describing, right? Right. I mean, I don't I don't know if people can appreciate the how bad this is, right? Because I guess it's just a matter of of how prevalent and consistent it is, right? If you do it once every block, every two blocks, it's not a big deal. But you were at risk of doing it at such a high rate. Almost any question you were at risk and you didn't know when you were doing it, right? Once we went back through and analyzed, you know, when we started, I was probably at 60 to 80% of my misses were test-taking misses. You could figure out a way that it was a test-taking miss. So people might, I mean, six out of 10, call it 70% of your misses. You missed 10 questions. Only three of them were fair misses. And if that's true, that means your knowledge was so far above 400, the bare passing. 500 is the, is the, was the average back then. I don't know if it still is. Um, so ideally, if you clean up your test taking, you should be scoring much higher. So, you know, we really hammered away at this stuff. And I think you really understood all the steps because we're like, I even use like specific vocabulary, like the last sentence I call the prompt, you know, we could, we steps called triangulation. The tie breaks have very specific names, uh, like reverse the flow, um, like a for and against, you know, we talk about like different misphenomenons. We give them names. I think it's really important to give them names and rationales to go with them because that's giving the, the test taker like you ownership. And it gives us a common vocabulary to talk about as we're troubleshooting. Um, so, you know, I remember you really struggling, like you really brought the system on board, but we weren't seeing the, the results. We weren't seeing the score. Because what happens, I think, is if, if test taking is a true problem, like it was for you, the system has to be all the way dialed in. Like you can't just do like the system 60 of the way there, so I'll see a 60% increase. It doesn't work like that, unfortunately. It's like, it's gotta be all the way dialed in, like 95% fidelity. And if it's not, then you see 0% increase. I, so I was driving to Baltimore to teach a class, like January, like New Year's, it was probably like New Year's Day, I'm driving up there. And I remember stopping in Morgantown, which is like three hours from my house, like halfway between here and in Baltimore. I just remember driving, talking to you about, we're like going over, like just trying to get unstuck from it. It's like, I think we were just dissecting one question. But, you know, you were trying to figure out the difference between where the inference ended and where the twisting began and really weighing the options neutrally. But we were you just weren't seeing the um, the scores flip in. And this is right around that time. And I think what had happened for you was, you know, you get to a point of frustration like I'm, you were you were recognizing it in what's called self-reflection. So you were able to see the mistakes consistently after the fact. You would self-reflect and say, I'm still making that same mistake. I'm twisting here. I'm twisting there. I'm I'm talking, I'm, I'm narrowing down to two and picking the one I know least about, least about. Uh, I'm moving away from the, the specific prompt, the question being asked. And so that's called self-reflection. You have to get really good at self-reflection, seeing the problems after the fact. And that grows what's called self-monitoring, being able to regulate yourself in the run of play. Some people I think are going to just really the self-reflection just leads to self-monitoring. But for you, you're one of the ones where it's like you have a breaking point. And like ideally, the self-monitoring like the kicks in 
um, before you're ready to throw your computer through the wall. But I think you yours was well past that. Like you were, is this right? Like you were like really frustrated. Like why is it not? Like you could see it. You could see the the the, the mistake types after the fact. But it just took that ten clicks past frustration, which is pretty far, to then really start to see the scores flip around. Does that sound right? When we had to, we had to slow it down, and I was I was writing long form out explanations on the whole question. And so we slowed it down. I, you'd give me a question that I missed and I would write it out long form paragraph form into explanations and send it to you. And then we would go through it and then, you know, and really being tight with the analysis was what was important as well. Because if you, well, so that's what we call Mike, that's what we we call those day woos, deep analysis write-ups. And that's been really productive for people. So there's a form of that that sort of evolved out of there. Because when we make people write them out, nobody wants to do it. There's nowhere to hide. And then you could more easily see where somebody is going off track. And I think we had you write those up. So the better you got at the write-up, the better your reflection, the self-reflecting got. And the better the self-reflecting got, the better your self-monitoring became. But eventually it clicked in, right? But yeah, we would go through these write-ups, correct? Right. And so it was just, you you do 10 questions at a time. You'd stop. You'd go through and analyze them figure out yep. what you did, figure out which ones were test taking, which ones were knowledge. And then mm-hmm. the, the test taking ones, you really went back through and then we'd figure out which mistake you were making so that when you saw a question of the same pattern, 200 questions later, you don't make that same mistake coming through. Well, and it also, it's like, it, you could also then feel yourself starting to make the mistake. And then you could switch. It's like you steering your car off the road. You, then you're building the rumble strips to bring you back on. That's the self-monitoring. So you would be able to catch, catch yourself and prevent the catastrophe from happening, right? And there's there's one question that really stuck out in this time that I we did a write-up on. And then two days later, 200 questions later, it was a different question, same pattern, same vignette, but different answers. And I got it right. And I sent it to you. I was like, that was it. That was the same question. Two days ago, I was missing it. And then today, like I could see it coming. You could see the pattern of the question going through. And so you don't miss it then. Yeah, because it it all came from the training. And again, I think we know this, like this, how it works in sports. You, 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 You practice patterns of play over and over and over again. You analyze, you reflect, and eventually you're able to do it in the run of play. And that's exactly what we had to do with you. So you 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 turn around on this thing. You didn't do anything else. You didn't study anything else. You only did questions using the StatMed process in that two month window, right? In December into January. Is that is that accurate? Right. Yeah, we just started. You do one question at a time, analyze yep. it. One question at a time, analyze it. Then you'd go to ten yep. questions at a time, that's analyze that's those that's ten. Adding time. Adding time. Adding and then we and every time we added a variable for you, your your scores would drop down, back off, and then you back off back up twenty percent anytime we change something. And Any so variable. then so you going have to, from like yeah, going from like untimed to time, going from twenty questions at you know twenty twenty questions at, at a run, twenty five up to fifty questions at a run, like the complex is seventy two seconds per question, sixty minutes for fifty questions. Then even going from the paper based trainers that we used to the computer simulation trainer, like we're using the dry erase marker and the stupid grid sheet they give you. Every time we added a variable, your scores would drop 20%, right? 
So right. we had to figure out how to make it work because the yeah. training sheets were different than what you had on the day of the test. And so then we had to, to adapt the coding and changing yep. and analysis to do it real time during the day of the test on the, you know, you get one marker and one flimsy sheet of paper that has a yep. grid on it. And yep. so you had to, you had to figure out how to do that so that the day of you had it set. And so we spent a so lot now, of now, right now, like that's built into the boards workshop. Like we call it the, like all, yeah, I call it just, yeah, these, these different simulation trainers. So now weeks before the test, depending on people's, you know, window of time, people are training with a sheet that emulates what they give you with the marker they give you. Um, and that's, that's, that's like, if you're going to play the Super Bowl, you play all season on grass and the Super Bowl is going to be in turf on turf, you know, those last two weeks are only training on turf because it's like, that's, that's how you train for a competitive event. You understand the arena and you train for it. But again, a lot of this stuff came from me and you just, you know, raging against the stupid logistics and then saying, all right, it is what it is. Let's train for it. So you did all that. You only did the stat med stuff. You, you failed with like a 385, 400s passing, 500s national average. What score did you get? So after two months of the program and working through everything, uh, on step two, I passed with a 580, which was in the 80th percentile range. So you went from what percentile to what percentile? Probably the first or second to the, you know, between 80 and 85th percentile in two months. I mean, it's a, this should be like an infomercial. Maybe it sounds like one. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's amazing, right? Like, that's yeah, crazy. And that's that's the unfortunate part was that it took two years of barely passing boards or barely passing tests to figure out that that's what the problem was and yeah. to go through it and to be able to figure out what the problem was and to be able to to fix it. Well, and that, that falls on me a little bit because that's just where I was on my evolutionary curve of building the boards workshop. You know, I mean, I just did, I didn't know. And, and, you know, it really came together with me and you working together. Like yeah. if I didn't have you as this, like, I mean, who knows how many hours we spent on that, you know? Um, just re like I needed, I needed the feedback. I needed somebody who was living it organically and I needed to see what happens when we took it all the way through to its logical conclusion. And, and I mean, hitting a 580, such a, I mean, such a, I mean, that's like, like what kind of residencies, if that's what somebody gets, like, what kind of realm are we talking about? We're talking high-end residency candidates, Yeah, that right? could have gotten you most, most, most things. Like that was, yeah, so, that was where people were getting what residency they wanted. Right. Back at that, and at that time. So anyway, so that, that, that is sort of the resolution of your second major uh, crisis point. Very happy ending. And I'm glad that I could be of help for that. But then you did have one last crisis point, the third of three crisis points in your career to get to where you are now in Florida as a, you know, working in, as an emergency medicine doctor. And we're not going to spend as much time on this, but I, 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 what can, what, what can you tell me about this? Yeah. So it's all timing. So by the time you pass boards, you miss match day and you don't, you know, you don't get the residency you want no place was really even looking at you because you don't, you haven't passed boards by the time they pick their, their group of people they want every year. And so at that time, you know, I passed just in time. I graduated two weeks late um, because they pulled me off rotations to, to study for the, the boards the third time. And so luckily like I could start residency on time, but I ended up scrambling into a family medicine residency that 
you know, so I could go forward because there wasn't really any other options to, you know, at that point, all the ER residencies were filled. Everybody had their spots and, you know, a lot of the family medicine residencies in the country were filled um, because, you know, everything was filling pretty significantly quickly then. Um, It's even worse now, really. And so, you know, that I ended up in a family medicine residency, which was obviously never the plan. That's not why I went to med school. And, you know, we talked about this. I, 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 I know that. I know that because I came through town where you were in residency, I was just driving from wherever in the Carolinas or whatever. And I came through town and, you know, we, we, you know, lined up and we went and had lunch. And I remember the, I remember the restaurant. I remember where we were sitting. I remember which direction we're facing in. We're catching up. And you say to me, if I knew I was going to have to do this to do family medicine, hey, nothing against family medicine. You need family medicine. Docs. It's just not what you got in the game for. It's not why you sacrificed and struggled, you know, all through all this to do. You were like, if I, if I knew I was going to have to do this to be a family medicine doctor, I never would have done it. It was such a kick in my stomach. I was just like, oh, man, Mike, I felt so bad for you because I was like, this guy, this is not what he wants. Like, I, knew, I knew what you'd sacrifice. I knew the long term suffering that you've gone through. I knew the work you had done to overcome these challenges. And I was like, oh, man. So I remember driving home. I was hours. I think I just drove for like an hour in dead silence, which I never do. Just like, I don't know, just like thinking about your plight. It's awful. It's great. Great lunch, Mike. Great lunch. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it left but, the mark. And, you know, I don't know. That's it, I was upset for you. And, I, you know, I felt like I was a part of your a, a part of your career. I mean, again, you're the one that did all the work uh, and you helped me in a lot of ways as much as I helped you. But um, to think about because I knew I knew what you wanted to do. And I was, I'm part of like an emergency medicine, like, you know, review program. I know all these guys and I know how much they love their job. And, and again, it's not for everybody. Um, but, but I think that's what you wanted, what you were trained for. So that's kind of where you were. And then how did you just real quick, like, how did you get out of that? Cause you are an emergency medicine doctor. Like I knew in the old days, there was like a weird relationship with family medicine and emergency medicine. That was like before they had enough emergency medicine doctors, cause it was relatively new and like that, that, that portal had closed. Right. Yeah. And so especially when I was going through and, you know, this is 2012, 2013, um, ER got really competitive and has continued over the past eight to 10 years of getting more and more competitive. Um, So, you know, I was doing family med. It was it was fine. But personality wise, that just that wasn't that wasn't my deal. No, Um, you. you know, and so I had to figure out a way. And so there were options you could you could go straight out of family med and work in a small ER somewhere out in the middle of nowhere and kind of, kind of do it that way. But, you know, I need, I knew I needed more than what more ER experience than what I got doing family med clinic and rounding in the hospital and that, you know, and so I found a ER fellowship that was a year that I could go do. And, you know, that was a, it was basically a mini residency that, that I went and moved, picked up my family again. We moved and went and did another another year just of ER, just what I wanted to be doing. And, it, you know, that prepared me great for coming out. And so there are other ways to get around and to get to where you want to be. Um, I, think, I, th- I think that's just an important message, right? Because, like, you don't, you can't sit down. Like, if you sat there when you and I are sitting there in that, in that restaurant, 
like we, we we couldn't see the way out. You couldn't see the way out. I couldn't see the way out. All you can do is like put your put your foot forward, and you know finish up. You know do what you can do, and then pivot and look for other options. I think that's part of the. I don't know the message I took from it. And I got, I didn't know how my business was going to evolve or how it was going to shape. And I just try to connect with my people and help people and how I can, when I can. And you just hope that that opens doors for you. And I think both of us have ended up um, on the other side of things with that. Right. Yeah. And that's why, that's why you have to realize is there's, there's stepping stones at each place. And so you have to get through whatever you're doing at that point. You have to put the time in to study for step one so that you can move on to the next thing. And you have to get things through and you have to do everything that you need to do to be able to graduate. And then you yeah. need to be able to get into a residency and get through a residency. And so each each of those things are different stepping stones, but each time you get through the next thing, more and more options open up and then you can kind of find where your place is and where you need to be and what what you want to do and what makes you happy. But, and, and even if, and I, and again, I think the key was like, even if you can't see that end, because I think a lot of us like sort of, you know, personality types, it's like, I want to be able to see what that plan is. Sometimes you can't see it. Like you couldn't see it the day I was talking to you. Um, and so no, I definitely couldn't see it when, when I didn't get an ER residency and I was calling places all over the country, trying to find a family medicine. You definitely don't see the future and you don't see the 10 years from now, where it's going to go and you know that that your life can be good and it's going to be good and everything's going to be great but you can't see it when you're in the middle of it and because all you can see is tomorrow what's going to have to happen and what you're doing tomorrow and the next day and so you know and you kind of start getting out of it and then something else might pull you back in and you're in the forest again and it's dark again and then you can push back through it and but as long as you're moving forward it'll eventually kind of move through yeah, well, or certainly there. Are, I mean, in, in different places, there are these different inflection points. But um, yeah, but I think I think that you're again like the way you found your way through this and where you've ended up and what you're doing is is really wonderful stuff and it's inspiring and and I certainly you know remember these these crisis points that you went through and then again as we like you and I were talking about before we started recording like. You start looking back at it and it's like, you know, I don't know. It's like looking at like, oh, we could have gotten run over here. Could have gotten run over there. Dodged that bullet. Didn't know I was dodging. Like where I knew it was, but you know, you're just in the fight trying to keep your head above water. However you want to mix the metaphor. Um, it's pretty gratifying to see the other side. And, you know, I, I, I certainly appreciate you for getting to where you got and, 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 and sharing all this. So, all that said, uh, you know, thanks for listening to this first episode or these first two episodes of our Crisis Point podcast series. Uh, thanks to Mike, you know, for sharing this awesome story. If you relate to Mike's experience, feel free to reach out so I can hear your story, answer any questions you might have, and see if we can help you on your path to success in medicine. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and check out our website for other interviews and to get more useful tips and strategies for learning and test taking in medical school, on boards, and in related medical fields. You can find us at statmedlearning.com. Thanks for listening.